0: there's an interesting phenomenon that happens that includes in nature how a mother prepares her young for life, for survival. We're probably most familiar with the mother bird, how like she'll go off and get worms and take it back to the next and feed the little birdies. What you might not know is that she eventually starts working her way down a branch so that the birdies have to get out of the nest and kind of find that food and oops they fall off of the branch and they go down and they flap their wings they start to fly that's all intentional now that might sound like cruel and unusual punishment right well if you think that is let me give you another example it's actually the harp seal I don't know if you know much about the harp seal, but the mother harp seal has her children for the first 12 days and they're very, very close to her. They take, she takes care of them by feeding and protecting them from all kinds of predators. In fact, the mother goes that entire 12 day period and doesn't eat herself. Some of you young moms know what that's like, right? Well, then the mother intentionally abandons the children for the next 45 days. They're left there on the ice to fend for themselves and they can't swim. So they have no way of gathering their own food. In fact, it's reported that these mother or these baby harp seals actually lose about half their body weight during this period of time. It's also a fact that about 30% of the harp seal pups don't make it through the very first part of their life. Now, if you're a parent of young children in the room, you know all too well the physical exhaustion of providing and raising your young children, right? You can't wait for the day when these children are grown. They're able to dress themselves, feed themselves, fend for themselves, and then you will just be on their way where you don't have to provide for them, protect them, or worry about them anymore, right? My oldest daughter just turned 23 this past Monday. We're still waiting for that day, right, okay? She's a great kid, and we still died at the end of the tunnel, but uh, we know that exhaustion, right? If you're a parent like me and your kids are in their teens or in their 20s, you know that the physical exhaustion has transitioned, evolved into mental and emotional exhaustion, right? I mean, you're still worried about them. They still are asking you to provide some things for them. I mean, we want them, though, to go to independent to be have confidence and really to just kind of spread their wings and fly amen well some of you aren't parents at all and let me just tell you that we've all been parented and we've probably all heard this phrase this is for your good right it's second to the this is going to hurt me more than it'll hurt you remember those phrases from your parents Well, we've been eavesdropping the past couple weeks on a conversation between Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. This is the night before he dies. And while Jesus isn't their parent, he isn't their father, he is their rabbi and their teacher. In the ancient world, being a rabbi teacher was maybe as important, maybe even more important in training up the next generation to really thrive and, and for life. Jesus has spent three years pouring into these men. He's taught them about God's character. He's shared with them about God's mission. And he's preparing them for the future when he will not be around. He's encouraged them to not let their hearts be troubled. And at the same time, he said, people are going to hate you because of me, right? The most troubling words that Jesus has said to his followers is that he is leaving. leaving. He's told them this several times, and each time they hear this, they are puzzled, they're confused, they're even grieved. So today we want to pick up in this conversation, actually, in John chapter 16, verse 5. So turn there with me if you have a copy of the Bible. If you're joining us from home, I'd encourage you to pull up a Bible and and join us as we listen to Jesus' words. Listen to what he says in verses 5 and 6 of John 16. Jesus says, Now I'm going to him who sent me none of you ask me where are you going rather you are filled with grief because i have told you these things jesus has been very clear that he's going away and he's clear about where he's going he's going back to the father back to his home where he came from back to where he belongs heaven He says, none of you have asked me, where are you going? But if you've been with us the last couple weeks or if you've read the previous chapters, both Peter and Thomas asked Jesus, where are you going? Is this an error on Jesus' part? It seems like a contradiction. Well, there's lots of scholars who have lots of opinions about this moment, but all of them come to the understanding that what is happening here is that the disciples have been much more preoccupied that Jesus is leaving as opposed to being concerned about where he's actually going. Remember, we know the end of the story. These men are seeing it all play out in real time. None of the disciples had entertained this idea that before the cross, Jesus was simultaneously conquering king, suffering servant, and resurrected Lord. They were just certainly distracted, confused, even overwhelmed by all that he was telling them. So listen to what Jesus says next. It's in verse 7. He says, The very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. There's that statement, for their good, right? What Jesus is saying here. Well, he's conveying to his disciples that he has their best interest in mind. His departure would bring them a much-needed helper and strength from the Holy Spirit, who he describes as a counselor, an advocate, a helper. His leaving and the coming of the Holy Spirit would be beneficial for them. It would be good. His departure was not abandoning them like a mother harp seal. Without him going away, the Holy Spirit would not come. He was not leaving them to fend for themselves and to figure out how to live in love like him the hard way. His departure included his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. Without these, there was no gospel. Without these, there would be no forgiveness of sins, no salvation, no hope or eternal life. It would be beneficial for Jesus to accomplish all these things. But if that's where the story ended, we would be left alone. Jesus says the reason for it's, it's good for him to go away is that if he doesn't, the Spirit will not come. John recorded some earlier teachings by Jesus. John 3, verses 5 and 6, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Later, Jesus says the coming of the Holy Spirit would be described this way in John 7, 38 and 39. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he means the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. The promise coming of the Holy Spirit was well known by the Jewish people. It was tied to the presence of God dwelling with his people. It was tied to the giving of a new heart, replacing a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. It was significant as the ushering in of the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying is that it's happening now. They had seen the Holy Spirit working in and through Jesus in his life, his teachings, his miracles. And now he was promising that the Holy Spirit would be working through their lives. You know, it wasn't that the Holy Spirit and Jesus couldn't coexist because they do. They are both part of the Trinity, the Godhead. They both have significant work to do. You'll see them complementing each other and cooperating in a few verses in just a minute. But without Jesus accomplishing salvation, the Holy Spirit would not be able to dwell in the lives of those who place their faith in him. Andreas Kostenberger, he writes that Jesus could only be in one place at one time when he was here on earth. But the Holy Spirit would be in every person at all times throughout the entire world. And that's why Jesus was saying, it's better for me, for you, if I go away, because then the Holy Spirit will come. Jesus then begins unpacking some more of the roles and work of the Holy Spirit. He's already shared that the Holy Spirit will dwell with them. He will teach them all things, remind them of everything he's already taught them. And he will testify about him through them. I hope you've been keeping a list in your journal as we've kind of unpacked these roles and works of the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus adds to the list. Let's see the the good that he says that will come when the Holy Spirit comes. John 16, now verses 8 and 11, Jesus says, When he comes, meaning the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about about sin, about righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Notice Jesus uses the word he when he refers to the, no, the Holy Spirit. He's reminding us that the Holy Spirit is not an it or a thing or some supernatural force or a, a representation of good, but instead a person. He has his own identity. He has his own personal characteristics. He is a person. He is, uh, the, his work is essential to the work of God the Father and God the Son. We often see the benefits of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of those who have accepted Jesus as Savior, but his work is not limited to just that group. In this moment, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world, or he will show the world to be wrong in sin and righteousness and in judgment. He uses a word there that's translated convince or convict. It's used 18 other times in the New Testament, and it always indicates to show someone their error to lead them to obedience you know people don't really like to admit that they're wrong or that they're guilty right i mean think about it nobody just kind of fesses up often if they've broken the law if they've you know sinned if they they've done something wrong they might admit to a few vices or mistakes or personality quirks as they might say i mean think about it you say Ah, i wasn't speeding i was only going five over no no i wasn't texting and driving i was just scrolling facebook Or you might say, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I'm just blunt. I just say what I think. Or you might say, well, yeah, I know that's wrong, but it's not as bad as what she did or or what he's doing. Those are all ways that we kind of shy away from this conviction, this convincing that the Holy Spirit is actively doing. Sin is an offense against God, and it's serious. And the Holy Spirit's job is to convince and convict people of their desperate plight because of sin. The Holy Spirit shows all of us that we are all sinners. Jesus says the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and regard or convicts the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. In regards to sin, refers to unbelief. While sin can manifest itself in many ways, and the Old Testament law as well as the New Testament teachings give lots of examples of sin at the There's resu- uh, the word I'm looking for. At the root of sin, thank you. At the root of sin is unbelief. Paul makes that very clear in Romans chapter one, verses eighteen through thirty-two. If a person does not believe that God exists, or that Jesus is not who He says He is, or that the Holy Spirit is not alive and active that nothing else matters. How we live or how we love, how we think, how we behave, everything in life must start from a foundation of faith and trust and believe in God. That's why Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. John 3, verse 36, Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. The work of the Holy Spirit is to confirm the truth about who Jesus is to the world so that they can come to faith in him. His work is gracious and he is designed so that all people can see their desperate need and find life in Jesus. In regards to righteousness refers to the condemnation of Jesus by his crucifixion, that they crucified him on the cross. Because Jesus is telling his disciples about this before his death, he's prophesying to the work of the Holy Spirit that will come and help them understand, realizing that he is the Messiah after his death, resurrection, and even his ascension into heaven. We see this play out uh, just about 50 days later from this moment in the upper room when Peter preaches a powerful sermon on what's called the Day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 records this entire sermon. I won't read all of it to you, but listen to some of the phrases and some of the words that Peter chose to use. In verse 22, Peter says this, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to b- by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you, so- as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it's impossible for death to keep his hold on him. Later in verse 32, Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and what you hear. And then in verse 36, he says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. When we share the truth about who Jesus is like Peter just did, we're commanded to do that by Jesus. We need to rest in the truth that it's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict the hearts and draw people to faith. We don't need to manipulate or twist arms or even apply some guilt. The Holy Spirit will do his work We must trust him to do his work in the hearts of those that we're praying for to come to faith in Christ, those that we're sharing the gospel with and giving testimony of how God is at work in our lives. In regard to judgment, Jesus is speaking to the the sovereignty that he has over sin, death, and even the devil himself, who he calls the prince of this world. Jesus brings victory by conquering the devil and his schemes. I love how Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, To be a sin offering. And he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. I think it's important when we hear Paul's words to understand there's a difference between the conviction the Holy Spirit brings and condemnation. Conviction is like seeing a person in the deep end of a swimming pool and running and getting the life ring and throwing it into them and pulling them with the rope back to the side of the pool condemnation is looking at that person drowning in the deep end and said, why'd you go in the deep end of the pool, fool? You should have known better than that. If you don't get out of that, you're going to die. Listen to the difference, what Jesus says that the Holy Spirit came to bring. Not condemnation, but conviction. His work is to help all people come to faith in Jesus, to find salvation and freedom in him. Now I wonder this morning if you feel like you might be in the deep end of life. Do you feel overwhelmed do you feel like you're drowning do you feel like the water is up to here and you've had it up to here with life do you feel left alone you feel disappointed disenfranchised do you feel overwhelmed by the sense of guilt in your life that isn't accidental it might be that the Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention so that he can help you understand just who Jesus is that you're not alone that you are not left out, you're not forgotten, that God created you with plan and a purpose, that he wants to give you life and life to the fullest. And you can have confidence of that eternal life and abundant life now when you place your faith in who Jesus is. If you find yourself wanting to know more about that, I just encourage you to pull out your phone, whether you're at home right now or worshiping in, in the room. Just text NOW to 812-858-8668. That doesn't automatically save you, but it gets you in touch with us that we can help walk alongside you as you respond to what the Holy Spirit might be doing on your life and come to faith in who Jesus is and find life in him. Jesus says, it's good that I'm going away so the Holy Spirit will come and bring conviction to the world. And then he says, it will, the Holy Spirit will also guide you into all truth. Listen to Jesus' words now in John 16, now in verse 12 through 15. Jesus says, I have much more to tell you, more than you can bear now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify Me because it is from Me that He will receive what He will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make me known to you. The Holy Spirit is active on the lives of those who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit is active in the life of those who have accepted Jesus and placed their faith in him. Peter, remember, he said that when we accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus calls the Holy Spirit in this moment a guide, a guide is defined as someone who, is, who provides help for anyone who's interested in traveling on the right path. And Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. He calls him the Spirit of truth. In essence and in action, the Holy Spirit is truth. He knows the truth, and he also is trustworthy. Jesus says he speaks only what he hears. That's significant because Jesus said that exact same thing about himself in John 12, 49. I did not speak on my own, Jesus said, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and what I have spoken. I think this is a strong statement of affirmation to the work of the Holy Spirit being as important to the work of God the Father and God the Son. And there's some churches that really kind of just downplay the work and the role of the Holy Spirit, and others overemphasize it. We here at Crossroads made a commitment at the beginning of this year to teach about the Holy Spirit, and we've tried to do that every time that John records or mentions the work and role of the Holy Spirit. I hope you're taking notes and and, and enjoying what we're learning as we journey together through this. Jesus' ministry here on earth lasted three years, but the Holy Spirit is still active and alive today. Jesus says he will tell you what is yet to come. And in this moment, saying to the disciples, he's letting them know that their partial understanding of who Jesus is and all that's getting ready to happen, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, that the Holy Spirit will make fully known the significance of this moment he will also share with them about his return. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, these men and others wrote the rest of the New Testament books so that they they would provide help to others, find true life in who Jesus is. Paul was one of those people, right? And in the Corinthian letter, he talks about how the Holy Spirit helps provide empowerment of his ministry as well as illuminates the hearts of those who hear. Listen to his words in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says this. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his own spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have received it, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept these things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. You know, it's hard living in any time, uh, but especially the world we live in today, to really know what is true or to find truth. It's always been hard to determine and find like, where should I go to school? Who should I marry? How do I raise kids that don't come with an instruction manual? How do I care for my aging parents? Those are troubling topics and it's hard to know the right path to go. But add to that navigating a worldwide pandemic, whether it's just personally or or organizationally. Add to that who to vote for. And you think about all those realities, and it can feel very overwhelming, can be very confusing. We can even feel grieved in our spirit as we think about those things. That is not how Jesus wants us to live. He wants us to live confident. He wants us to be sure of the truth. And that's why he said, it's good for me to go away so the Holy Spirit will come and guide you into all truth. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will take what he, Jesus had received from the Father and make it known to us so that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. There's one last thing I think that Jesus says, it's good that, we'll, that I go away. The Holy Spirit will bring glory to Jesus. It's just a simple phrase that I thought just included in the previous point, but I think it's more significant than that. John 16, verse 14 says, He will glorify me. As Jesus glorified the Father when he was here on earth, so the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. The word glory or to give glory in the original language means to add weight, to honor, to, to magnify. It could even mean to make clearer. One of the gifts I did not expect when I became the lead pastor at Crossroads is a little extra bonus, it was reading glasses. In fact, when I came here to give my trial sermon, I was preaching my little heart out and I said, let's look at a passage and when I went to read it, it was as if the page was blank. I saw no words, it was just all blurry. And if you were here that day, you might have noticed a prolonged pause. Maybe it felt like two hours, but it was maybe only about 20 seconds. I was just waiting for the words to show up. When they finally did, I continued reading. Well, after that service, Jeremy Locke, our worship pastor, said, um, hey, you seem to kind of be emotional when you were reading the Bible. What was up with that? I said, oh, I was emotional. The emotion was panic. The emotion was fear because I couldn't see a thing on that page, right? Well, the Holy Spirit is like reading glasses to Phil Heller. When I put those things on, wow, it all looks so much clearer, right? The Holy Spirit is here in us to glorify Jesus, to add weight to how important he really is, to make sure we understand fully who he is and find true life in him. It's not accidental that Jesus is talking to his disciples about how to live when he's going to be gone. How to stay connected to the vine so that they would bear fruit. In the middle of that, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come. The Holy Spirit has a job to help continue the work of Jesus through the life of those who follow him in the way that they live and in the way that they love. That's the bearing fruit that Jesus is talking about when he says in John 15, 8, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, that you show yourself to be my disciple.'" When we allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through our lives, he's magnified, he glorifies, he he makes Jesus clearer and the world can see it in the way that we live in love like him. So let me just wrap up with two questions. The first question is this, are you resisting the work of the Holy Spirit? If you've never claimed Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, I pray, is working on you right now. Because you don't have faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit is not in you. He can't work through you, but he has one mission, and that mission is to glorify Jesus so that you would come to see how lifeless it is to put your faith in anything else that this world provides. The Holy Spirit's role is to convict the world that they're wrong, that there is nothing else that brings life other than Jesus, and that he is the Savior, Messiah, and Lord why do you keep resisting and running from him everything and everyone in your life may have bailed out on you but I can tell you that God has created you for a purpose and he's not given up on you yet the Holy Spirit is wooing you toward God himself he's trying to get your attention he's showing you how hopeless it is to place your faith in anything else in this world and he's revealing himself to you in many ways through circumstances through people even creation, so that you can find life. And he will use anything he can to get your attention. Several years ago, when I was youth pastor here at Crossroads, we took several trips across the border into Mexico to do mission work. And on one of those trips, the students were performing some evangelistic festivals they would sing songs and give testimonies and do skits about who Jesus is and if we weren't involved in the festival we just kind of lined the outside of where the kids were doing the presentation and there was a a group of us leaning up against the the back wall of this courtyard that surrounded the church it was about five or six concrete blocks high And right in the middle of the festival, as we're leaning up against the wall, it collapsed. It fell to the ground in shambles. And we're like horrified, right? Here we are destroying church property. So we start scurrying around to pick up these blocks. Well, before that happened, there was a local man who was standing on the outside of the wall. And as we were busy picking up the blocks, he stepped through the rubble and went in and sat down on one of the wood benches and listened to the rest of the festival. And when the local pastor got up to ask if anybody was interested in receiving Jesus Christ as Lord, guess who the first person who went forward was? The man who had come through the broken wall. Let me just tell you, friends, if you're feeling a sense of overwhelming guilt or isolation or fear or just just like not sure, you feel like you're drowning, it very well could be just the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention. You weren't designed to live that way. You were designed to live full of life, free, and that's found only in Jesus. And if you haven't yet, I would encourage you to text now to 812-858-8668 so we can help you understand what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and how to find life in Jesus' name. Second question is this. Are you relying on the work of the Holy Spirit? You know, for those of us in the room who've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we received the Holy Spirit upon salvation. It is, he is in us. It's not like an add-on or like an upgrader or, or even optional. The Holy Spirit will lead us, guide us, control, counsel us, challenge us, comfort us, empower us, and conform us to the image of Jesus if we let him. You see, the difference is having the Holy Spirit in us or letting the Holy Spirit have control of us. He doesn't want us to fend for ourselves. He promises to guide us. We can be confident. We can know that it is good. So my question is, are you relying on the Holy Spirit, not just a little bit, but giving him complete control of your life? Paul talks about what that looks like when he finishes his thought in Romans chapter eight. Let me read the next couple of verses to you, beginning now in verse 5. Paul says, Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who live in the realm of the flesh cannot please God you whoever however are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the spirit if indeed the spirit of god lives in you and if anyone does not have the spirit of god it, they do not belong to christ but if christ is in you then even though your body is subject to death because of sin the spirit gives life because of righteousness and if your, the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead is living in you he who raised christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal, mortal bodies because the Spirit who lives in you. Jesus said it will be good for us, for him to go away so that the Holy Spirit could come and convict us of sin, to show us that how we're living is wrong, to guide us into all truth, and to help us glorify him. So if you have the Holy Spirit in you, let him have complete control of you so that you can experience the life that he came to bring. It's only found in Jesus let's pray together God thank you for being God you're a good good father you didn't abandon us you didn't send us out of here into this world to fend for ourselves but God you were very intentional on how you revealed yourself the first was through creation God when I saw the moon this past week so big and bright in the sky I just felt you close to me And I know it's just one way you've tried to reveal yourself to us is through creation. Your eternal power and your divine nature is on display as we see leaves burst into different colors. As we feel the coolness of night and the warmth of day, God, you have revealed yourself to us through your word. You have written and had recorded how you interact with your people. God, we see your character from that. And if that wasn't enough, God, you sent Jesus here in the flesh to show us a real life example of how to live, of how to love the way you do. And God, it it didn't end there. He wasn't here very long, just 33 years, but the Holy Spirit was given to us so that he could reign and live inside of us. Oh God, we're not abandoned. We're not here alone, but you are in us. You are working in us. You are working through us, God. My prayer is that we who know you as Lord and Savior, would allow the Holy Spirit to have complete control of our life. We, he would not just be in us, but he would be in control of us. And God, I also pray if there's somebody here today who thinks they're alone, who thinks they have to do this on their loan, and they're drowning in the deep end, God, I pray that they would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. They would be drawn to you, and they would come to know Jesus and the life that he offers all. And it's in his name that I pray right now. Amen.